You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. church is not about itself. We are here to bless people who have no affiliation with the church. We love this community, we love this world, and we want to impact this world. So we serve each other and we serve the world. We are looking at a topic really tonight. Um, It is one of John Wesley who came along about 250, 275 years ago. And what was happening at the time, he created this movement. He didn't decide to start a denomination that would uh, lead into United Methodism and many other faith traditions. He really just wanted to see people come to to life in their faith, and he wanted to plug them into discipleship, and he wanted to see them grow in grace. John Wesley was all about grace, and he also, he understood that for us to grow our faith, that it would take intentionality, it would take for us to open up the scriptures, to find out what God is saying to us about how we should live our lives, how he created us to live our lives, and then do those things. Now, I came to faith at the age of 35, uh, about 10 years ago, and I remember from the outside looking in, it looked to me like Christianity was just a lot of do's and don'ts, right? Rules. You know, this, the Christians, they, they do these things, they go to church, they read their Bible, they do some good stuff in the community, they serve in the church, and then they don't do these things. They don't cuss, they don't get drunk, they don't, you know, go to rated R movies, they don't get high, they don't hang out with people who do, right? So they just kind of stay away from those those sins because people that do that have sin cooties and it might get on them. And so they just avoid those things. And that's essentially, that's the don'ts list and they do no harm. And then, but they got the do's list. And John Wesley came along and he, he put this into three simple rules. Do no harm, do good, and stay in love with God. Do no harm, do good, and stay in love with God. Called them simple rules, sometimes called them general rules. And they really are simple except actually doing them. Now, I remember coming to faith, like I said, I was just like, had no idea what Christianity was truly about. I, I looked from the outside in thinking it was really just about a, rules and do's and don'ts. And, and I remember coming to faith and being like, this is about a relationship. I, I was living a horrible life far from God, an extremely wicked man. And I get this grace. I'm sitting in a Christian counselor's office. I'm converted and I'm like, he wants a relationship with me. I am forgiven. This is all grace. It's all relationship. It's not about those rules. It's not about rules. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's not about lists. I don't have to worry about any of that. I just got to have this lovey-dovey, feel-good, fluffy relationship with Jesus. But then I started opening up the scriptures. <laughs> and I open up the scriptures, and I see that there are lists of, of do's and don'ts. Like I said, the ways that God created us to, to be and live and flourish in relationship with each other and ourselves. How many of you are familiar with Psalm 119? It's the, it's the largest chapter in 
all of scripture, like 100 and, Bob, 60 some verses? 176, thank you. The advantage of having our lead pastor in the room here. 176 verses of, (laughs) somebody's looking it up on their Bible app. 176 verses of David essentially having this love affair with God's instructions. He's just over, God, your statutes, your precepts, your rules, basically, your your things that you've told me to do and not do. God, I love them so much. I just want to do them. Would you help me do them? I I want the list. I want the rules just because I know that the rules facilitate a relationship with you. I know that and I long for it. And so my whole like pendulum swing from, I don't want rules. It's all that Christianity is about rules and I don't want that. And then now I get saved and I'm, I'm feeling this grace of God and the presence of God is very tangible in my life. And I, and I, I just want that. But then it becomes very evident that I need these rules, right? That I need to recognize my weaknesses and I need to recognize my faults and, and my, my flesh. And I need to submit to these these rules, because they're good, and they're good for me. And so I was experiencing a lot of what John Wesley's new converts in the 1700s were experiencing. They were coming to faith, and they were like, okay, well, how do we do this? And so he set up a very structured discipleship model, and, and what pervaded the, the lists were the, were the three I mentioned, do no harm, do good, and stay in love with God. A few weeks ago, we looked at stay in love with God. Tonight, we're going to camp out in do no harm. Now, as I mentioned, do no harm is far more comprehensive in how it shows and teaches us the things that we should avoid and stay away from in our life than, you know, don't cuss, don't drink, don't get high, don't hang out with bad people, don't go to rated R movies, and so on. It's way more comprehensive than that. We have 16 subpoints to do no harm that John Wesley shared with us. Now, just to give us some context, I am going to do a 16-point sermon tonight, so we could be a while. Is everybody okay with that? Who's playing Sunday night football? It doesn't matter. You're going to miss it. All right. No, I'm kidding. I'm going to breeze through the first 13 just so that we can kind of get a, a grip of what Wesley was, was pointing to, but then we're going we're gonna to look at three of them with some depth. Legal disputes between brothers. Wesley understood from Scripture in Corinthians where Paul said, you don't, when you get in disputes with other believers, don't go to the courts. Just figure it out yourself. Using too many words in buying or selling. So Wesley was real, uh, he was a big guy on, like, we don't need to waste time, okay? We don't need to beat around the bush. We don't need to have small talk around the water cooler kind of thing. And so, which some of you that know me, I, (laughs) anyway. Buying or selling untaxed goods. So, you know, this black market thing and like doing things in the dark and away from, you know, taxes and, and reputable business practices, you know, no, don't do that. That's harmful. Unlawful interest, so payday loans, no bueno. Borrowing without an intent on, is that going to go to the next screen this morning? Huh, that's weird. This morning it was all on one. So that was uh, borrowing without the intent of paying back or buying without the intent of paying back. So don't put yourself out there financially whenever you don't have the resources and you know you don't to pay it back. Legal disputes, oh no, let's go to the next one. All right, profaning the day of the Lord either by doing ordinary work or buying and selling. You know, the longest of the Ten Commandments, if you weren't aware of that keeping the, the Sabbath holy, Ta- taking the name of God in vain, so cursing, drunkenness, buying or selling spiritus liquors, or drinking them in less of necessity, medicinal use, I'm assuming, is what he's mentioning there, doing what we know is not for the glory of God, as in putting on costly apparel. Peter talks about women, you know, don't let your beauty be the adorning of jewelry. You know, don't be beautiful from the inside. Don't have it be that. Fighting, quarreling, or brawling, 
And do unto others what we would want. Doing to others what we would not want done to ourselves. So the golden rule from Jesus, all right? Those are 13. And what Wesley is saying, oh, laying up treasures on earth. There's more. Laying up treasures on earth, singing songs and reading books that do not tend to the knowledge or love of God. So in the first 13 of these, you kind of get a, 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 a grasp, don't you, of what he's saying? He's saying, look, there are things that we need to avoid as Christians that will affect how you do business and commerce. It will respect, it will impact how you do personal relationship. It'll impact how you handle your money. It'll impact how you handle your time. It's just these are things that are important for us to tend to when we become Christians, when we start to, to do this obedience to Jesus thing. And then the next three we're going to dig into deeper. Like I mentioned, we're going, to, we're going to look at some illustrations, and we're also, when we do this, going to look at some scripture to see where, um, where Wesley is going with these. The first of our final three, uncharitable or unprofitable conversation, particularly speaking ill of magistrates or ministers. So magistrates or ministers, in today's language, politicians or pastors. So no more uncharitable or unprofitable conversation about Jake Bob, Jim, and Jason. Okay, we got to be nice to them all the time, no matter what. That's what, that's what Wesley just said. Now, it, what he's saying here is we have moved into a time, which I suppose it was like that throughout human history, but haven't we moved into a time in our American culture where the air of conversation, of, of disagreement in the political or in the family just is toxic? Don't we, have a, don't we just have this inability to to disagree in a civil and respectful way. When we have people on the opposite sides of political um, positions and opposite sides in their family disputes over whatever it is that's brought them to a head together, and there's just this, it's beyond tension. It's, it's an inability to see the other person as an image bearer of God. It's just, it's not charitable and it's not profitable. In Romans 13, chapter 13, verses one and two, Paul would say this, everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. So if you're familiar with the book of Acts, which we're going to look at again a little later, uh, John and Peter go before the authorities and they don't do what the authorities told them to do. The authorities told them to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. They don't listen. So what Paul is saying is we can't take this and, and overlay it over every single aspect of our life, but as long as what the governing authorities are asking us to do aren't in conflict with the will and the word of God, then we need to do that. We need to do that. As Christians, we need to respect the governing authorities that they have been put there for a reason by God. And then Hebrews thirteen seven says this about our spiritual leaders pastors, preachers. Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. So what we see in this first one is when we come into conversation as Christians, we're in an environment where we have an opportunity to look extremely different because there aren't very many people when they begin to talk about religion or politics that are doing it in a civil and respectful and graceful way. Paul does this beautifully in a passage in Acts 16, which we're going to look at under the heading of Wesley's next do no harm rule is returning evil for evil or railing for railing. Returning evil for evil evil or railing for railing. Now, I got to set up this story in Acts chapter 16. If you want to read the whole thing, um, 
please go do it. It's Acts chapter 16, and Paul is on one of his missionary journeys. He's with Silas and his church planting crew, and he, he rolls into the, to the city of Philippi, and there's no synagogue there, so he's trying to find some people that he can gather together and preach the gospel and, and plant a church, and he finds Lydia and some women down by the river, and they're praying. So he's like, okay, this is a good place to plant a church, and he strikes up this relationship with Lydia, actually introduces her to Christ, and she comes to faith. She begins to uh, host the church there in Philippi, and they're, it, it's between the lines. I'm reading a little between the lines, but they seem to be growing the church. Paul is spending a little bit of time in Philippi, and wouldn't you know it, the enemy isn't liking this at all. So there's a slave girl who is um, possessed by a spirit of divination, it says, and she is making some business owners a lot of money by doing some fortune-telling, Ouija boards, tarot cards, whatever they did back then, right? And so when she sees Paul and Silas, she starts yelling, these men are here to show us the way of salvation. Well, it says right in the text that Paul gets irritated or agitated by this, and he finally just breaks down and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, depart from her. And so this, this, this irritation to Paul is taken care of, right? Well, how do you think that the business people who owned this slave girl were doing after that? Not good. They lost a lot of money, and they were not okay with it. So they round Paul and Silas up. They bring him to the town square, have a kangaroo court, no due process. They beat Paul and Silas, throw them into prison there in Philippi, not knowing that they were Roman citizens. Now, in the middle of the night, the earthquake comes like it did in other places in Acts. God, he did, for, did this for Peter earlier in Acts. And so the earthquake comes, and the jail doors open, and, and it's just a mad rush, and they're going to get out of town, right? Well, no, the, the Philippian um, Roman uh, soldier starts to stab himself because he knows that if he loses his prisoners, he's toast. So he starts to go to stab himself, and, and Paul's like, no, 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 no. So he's got the prison doors open, and he's like, can you just see him? This guy's going to kill himself. There's freedom. Okay, look, don't kill yourself. We're all here. Take it easy. You know, and then the Philippian uh, Roman soldier, he's like, okay, well, how can I be saved? And it doesn't talk about exactly how much time passes through all this, but the prison doors must have still been open, and Paul and Silas are still there in the morning. Remarkable. They must have had time to worship and do a sermon while Paul would preach into the night, pass the offering plates and everything. So this is where we pick the story up. In Acts 16, verse 35, the next morning, the city officials sent the police to the jailer. Let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said, you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. Paul replied, they have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison, and we are Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not, in today's language. I don't think so. Let them come themselves to release us. When the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia there they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. Then they left town. Did you catch what Paul was just able to do there? Returning evil for evil. No, he returned evil with good. Now, I felt like, again, before I came to faith, when, it, when I looked at Christians, it just seemed like a very passive religion to me. You turn the other cheek. Jesus does tell us to turn the other cheek. But Paul, here in Philippi, he has every right legally to take these city officials all the way to Rome for the mistreatment of a Roman citizen. 
He very easily could have done that, but he didn't. He wanted them to be accountable. He wanted the truth to have its day, but he didn't want to overstep. He didn't want to overstep because he knew that that would do harm. He knew if he took it too far, the Christians wouldn't be welcome in Philippi. The church wouldn't thrive. He knew that even at the end of the day, his presence was best to not be in the city of Philippi. He strikes this amazing balance between grace and truth. He makes sure that truth has its day because it would be harmful, wouldn't it? It's harmful for our families and our communities and our society for truth not to have its day, to have the light of day. But when truth becomes a weapon, when we begin to have truth in our hands to seek revenge, to get back at, to return evil for evil, then Wesley would say in his rules, that's, you know, don't do that. That's harmful. Somehow find a way to mesh grace and truth. Romans 12, verses 17 and 18, Paul hits this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And that leads us to the third one of our ones we're diving into. This is number 16 of the do no harm list. Softness and self-indulgent. Now, I knew I would have to do some historical work on what Wesley meant by softness because I think we have a, our own definition for softness. I believe, I'm going to put it out there, that we now live in the softest generation in human history. Can anybody say amen with me on that one? We are so soft. But apparently, there was softness back in Wesley's time as well. I was looking up um, where people were piecing together from his journal and sermons. What did he mean by softness? Well, he was so intense on how we should be intentional, of how we should have grit in our lives, that softness for him was sleeping more than seven hours a night. I'm not going to ask how many of you sleep more than seven hours a night, but he was insistent that no human being needed to sleep more than seven hours every night. That if you went beyond that, that there were things that God was calling you to do in advancing the gospel and growing your faith, and meeting the needs of others. The list, right? Every hour you slept over seven, you weren't doing what it was that God was calling you to do. So that, that was one example of softness. And then also self-indulgence. So softness and self-indulgence. Wesley believed that any time we came across something in our lives that had control over us, any time we came across a hurt that, that we couldn't let go of, a habit that you know, a self-destructive behavior, habit, or action that we just couldn't break, a hang-up, something that we just couldn't, uh, a stronghold in our mind and our thought life, anytime that came into our life and we didn't go to war against it, that that was essentially self-indulgence, that we were choosing to put this thing between us and God. And that God's heart was for us to take those things that separate us from him and be intentional about it. Have grit. Don't be soft. The softness that he talks about is kind of the word uh, sloth that we hear from, from Scripture, one of the seven deadly sins. Just a general spiritual laziness. You know, an inability to take on those things that we know are harmful to us and harmful to others. In 2 Timothy, Paul writes, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and what's the third word there? Self-discipline. Some translations say self-control. Yeah. So Paul says, when you get the spirit of God 
and, and you submit yourself to his lordship and you understand that you have these, these do's and you also have these don'ts, then, then take the power of God that rose Jesus from the grave and any of those things that are separating you from God and you know what they are if you're pursuing him and go to war against them. Remove them from your life. This, completely, this idea completely reshaped how we do outreach here at Schweitzer. Um, some of you in the room were around before Church at the Center was planted, and I, like I mentioned, came to faith 10 years ago, and, and I sort of had this, when I started seeing people in need, and, and there was the, a spiritual or material bankruptcy and a, and a poverty, and I just, I had to try to alleviate it, and, and people are going to start smiling because they remember these days when I was like Robin Hood. I was like, okay, we got to get this from the Sunday school class. Okay, this person needs bus passes. Okay, okay, okay. This person needs a bike. Okay, they need a bike so they can get to work. Okay, now this person needs, uh, they need clothes. They've got job interviews this week. And just, Bob, you remember this. And I'm running all over the place, and I'm accessing this fund, and I'm, I'm hitting up this Sunday school class, and, and people are coming, people are going, people are getting bus passes, and they're getting food, and they're getting clothes, and, they're good, and I'm exhausted, and not one life that I can tell or see has been transformed. And it's because I was only addressing one important, but one area of poverty, one area of brokenness in that person's life. And then while I'm still running around doing things, you know, figuring this out, Jobs for Life comes along. Scott Warren's in the room, our director. Jobs for Life comes along. And then we change our food pantry policy from from chronic to crisis. And then Church at the Center starts to work with the programs in in the area, and we we start to give birth to this idea of the life change plan. And here's what all of that is starting to do. It's starting to take our relationships with people and making them significant to the point where if there is softness or if there is self-indulgence in a life, we're going to address that. And this gets really hard. I'm looking out over some faces of people that have had really hard conversations with. And some of you have had really hard conversations with me. But here's what Wesley would say. Until you take on softness and self-indulgence, you're only going to partially, if even that, transform a life that nine out of 10 people who escape any aspect of poverty, particularly material poverty, do so because of a significant relationship. And here's what we understood, and here's what we're benefiting from, and here's why this room is full tonight. It's because we decided as a church to create programs. No, programs are only facilitating what I'm talking about here. We created an environment where softness would be addressed, self-indulgence would be addressed, because we see that that is harming people. We see that is harming ourselves. We see that too many people in our culture, in our community, are surviving day to day. And that is not how God created any of us to live. Any of us. And I'm talking about the church. Some of you have people in your families. Some of you have people in your families who are in that cycle. And every year they're coming back and every year they're going out and every year they're coming back and every year they're going out and you don't know what to do and you want to help. And so you help and you write checks and you, you get favors done and then the cycle continues, right? A book that really will help you and has helped the church here is a book called Toxic Charity. I had two of them this morning and in my sermon, I, I held them up and I was like, Who, you know, if you promise to read this here, Toxic Charity, it's a great book to illustrate everything I'm talking about. And uh, Jake, you were here. One girl ran down the aisle in the middle of my sermon. She grabbed it and she, here's what she wrote to me. 
She wrote this to me after like two hours. She'd started diving into it. This was a message I needed in answer to daily prayer. I've been struggling with how to help a family member, and I've done more harm in helping them than I ever intended. The book you gave me has helped out already. In the first page, the part blew me away where it said, when we do the... When we do for those in need what they have capacity to do for themselves, we disempower them. She said this is going to completely change how she does no harm in that relationship in her life. Poverty Inc. on Netflix is another great, great place to go to to help get you a little further in what we're doing. So Church at the Center, you guys have seen what's happened here if you've been around. We've doubled in worship attendance in the past year. The Life Change Plan has seen eight graduates in 2017. Jobs for Life has over 70 graduates. The Faith and Finance class has already 20, nearly 20 graduates. And the Coach House has three women who are thriving and no longer surviving in their life. And that's because as a church, we've decided to say, if there is, as Wesley would call it, don't take offense, please, but if there is softness and self-indulgence in your life, we're going to address that because we love you. And we know the amazing things God has for you. So we had some amazing meals over the Thanksgiving weekend. And so I want to let you know that if we had a do-no-harm dish, what's your favorite dish? Green bean casserole, pumpkin pie? Okay, imagine when I have a dish right here and it's, it's do-no-harm. The two, sweet potato casserole with the marshmallows, it's really good. So we have a dish, it's called do-no-harm, and the two main ingredients we can't do without are grace and truth. If you look through all of Wesley's 16 list, if you look at the passage in Acts chapter 16 with with how Paul, grace and truth, he completely balances these two together. And I was thinking to myself, what is one relationship in the Gospels where Jesus does this? God comes and he puts flesh on, right? He's the person of Jesus. And what relationship does he have this embodiment of grace and truth? It's Peter. Who has their favorite character in the New Testament is Peter. A lot of us, right? Peter's a buffoon a lot of times. And there is a Bible study that that Jesus is leading at one moment. And he says he's going to go to the cross. He's going to die, but he's going to rise again. And Peter interrupts. Can you imagine being in a Bible study and interrupting Jesus saying, no, 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 no. No, I can't go down like that, Jesus. It's recorded in Mark chapter 8. Does anybody know what Jesus says back to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Ouch, get behind me, Satan, for you're not thinking about the things of God, but the things of man. And then there's a time on the night that Jesus was betrayed where Judas sold him out that Peter denied that he even knew Jesus three times when Jesus needed him most. Faults and failures, truth, bam. There's just truth right up against Peter in the, in the, in the face. But does Jesus leave it there? No, he doesn't. He rises from the grave and is recorded in John chapter 21. He's having some breakfast on the beach with Peter and he's eye to eye and it's all grace, right? You remember this scene? Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You see, some of us in here tonight need this fullness of grace and truth that Jesus offers us just like he did Peter. Some of us have been hit in the head with so much truth. Some of us have had our faults and our failures just on the the Megatron, really, of of our life. People have seen it. We see it, and God is exposing it. 
And we need that time where we just sit down with Jesus and we allow him to speak the words of grace and love and forgiveness and mercy and acceptance because he loves every one of us so much that he doesn't leave us with just truth. He delivers the grace that we so desperately need in our lives. If you guys, uh, if you guys would all allow me, I'd like to just close with prayer and ask him to guide us as we respond to the word. Father, thank you so much for the words of scripture that feed us as believers. We pray for every person in here and their relationship or with you or if they don't yet have a relationship with you. And we ask that you would move in hearts and minds and lives. And we pray that you would help us to, to be the fullness of grace and truth, that you would help us to know when uh, to, to do and when not to do in a way that helps us to grow closer to you and do no harm in our relationships with each other. It is for you and your glory we ask that. Amen.